Welcome to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. We're joined on the ESPN-UP phone line by Ryan Stieg, our usual guest today. He's out of the Mining Journal, but today he's literally out of the Mining Journal, out on the road. What's going on, Ryan? Where are you headed? Well, uh, I'm heading uh, down to Minnesota. We're uh, going to St. Cloud for a couple days, and then uh, we're going to go see my folks up down in Minneapolis. So it's kind of a roundabout Twin Cities area, I guess. Well, I tell you what, we got a lot to get to today. I'm going to be joined by Justin Abdelkader, Stanley Cup champion of the Detroit Red Wings. He is going to join the show here in about 30 minutes, and we'll talk about Kraft Hockeyville and the Wings' expectations for the upcoming season. But a lot more to get to with Ryan. We had the WCHA teleconference a couple of days ago. We have some really good Mike Leach audio that I'm sure you've heard by now. But I want to get Ryan's thoughts on it. I want to play that audio for you here coming up. But I tell you what, Ryan, starting on the ice and starting with the WCHA teleconference, give me your overall impression of it. Northern pick to finish third in one poll, fourth in another. Kind of a unanimous pick through both polls with Philip Ballou, a preseason first-teamer. It was an interesting uh, teleconference. I'm not surprised by the poll. Um, I picked them to finish third, um, and that's how the media poll shook out. And the coaches picked them fourth. I thought it was a bit surprising that Bemidji was ahead of them. I thought, you know, Bemidji might be a, maybe a fourth or fifth, you know, seat this year. But uh, maybe, you know, the coaches not, don't always uh, line up with the media in their predictions. So that, that, that didn't surprise me that they didn't line up perfectly. But there was the bottom half. Well, Ryan, Bemidji State, big movers in the coaches' poll as compared to the media poll. Coaches have them third. The media has them finishing fifth. What is it about Bemidji that the coaches see maybe the rest of us don't? Well, I think uh, Bemidji is a little team on the rise. I think they've gotten a little better in the last couple of years. Um, I know two years ago they actually ended up winning the conference <laughs> and, uh, in an absolute shocker. So I think, uh, you know, Tom's, can, Tom's territory can... Uh, surprise you in a little bit with this class so um i'm not sure the specifics behind it but i think uh they're going to be interesting this year i think they're going to fight for the four seed finish in the four and five area i think northern's got a little more coming back they lost a lot obviously with Boggins and Tolman and rockwood pierce and those kind of people but uh they've got a good uh group and plus they got a lot of young talent that could uh, really emerge Minnesota State of Mankato got about every first-place vote possible to repeat as conference champions. Not a big surprise there, considering what they have coming back. Uh, no, not really. They've basically been the kings of the conference for the last few years. Um, they always are stacked with a recruiting roster. They got the preseason pick for player of the year with Mark Michaelis, who uh, is really probably one of the best forwards in the conference. Um, he was probably up there with Loggins last year in that kind of caliber player. Uh, Parker told me he's also up there um, as a great winger. Um, and then uh, <laughs> Dwight McKay is coming back. Some people thought that uh, he deserved uh, goaltender of the year last year over Tolman. And, um, I can understand the case for that because, you know, he, the weakness for Minnesota State last year was supposed to be goaltending. And he really uh, kind of surprised everybody for his freshman performance. But uh, um, I still think Tolman should have got it. Um, but yeah, they're they're just a stacked team overall. I just you know, and they got Nathan Smith, who was predicted to get the rookie of the year. They're they're going to be hard to beat. Well, Ryan Bowling Green was a pretty consensus pick for number two in the conference behind Minnesota State. They are losing a top tier goalie, and they're coming off a coaching change. What kind of year are they going to have? They're going to be uh, they're going to be a little down because they lost you know Ryan Bednar. Um, you know he's a Florida Panthers project. <laughs> Not project, but for the, he was a signee, so he's uh, very, very good at that, and they lost him. And, but Eric Dopp is, uh, you know, a very capable goaltender, and I think that he could bring a lot to the table. Um, you look at Brandon Cruz, he was picked to be on the uh, all preseason team. Uh, Alex Hauser anchors the uh, defense, and I think he was an All American a couple of years ago. Um, so they're good. They lost quite a bit, too. I can some people are a little skeptical about the second-place pick, but I just think, you know, Bowling Green showed the last few years that they're a remarkably consistent program, and uh, they can, they just reload every year. And uh, 
I think they're going to be a force to deal with. I think uh, they're going to be Northern's biggest competition. I think Northern has the very capability to finish second for the third year in a row, but uh, you just wonder where uh, the scoring is going to come from. Well, somewhere around the middle of the pack in both polls, you have the other two Upper Peninsula teams. You've got Michigan Tech finishing just ahead of Lake State in both polls. What do you expect from the other UP teams this year? I think uh, Michigan Tech uh, was a little surprised to be a little higher in the poll. I guess uh, you know some people saw something that uh, I didn't. Um, I know they lost quite a bit too, but uh, you know Matt Jurisic's back and is going to be in that, and uh, they lost Gavin Gould, which was a bit of a surprise. He's a Bowling Green now. I'm not sure if he's going to actually play this season because they're dealing with the whole uh, NCAA transfer rules and if he fits into that. But um, I think Tech's going to be okay. I think they can uh, fight for the fifth seed. Um, I think they're probably going to finish sixth. But uh, I think they're going to be capable. Lake State's problem is they lost quite a bit. They lost Diego Cincinnati. Um, Nick Kossoff's gone. He was their starting goaltender. Um, but they have Max Humans. Max Humans is coming back. Uh, very, very good forward, um, pretty much a 20-point guy, maybe even a 30-point guy. So he's going to be anchoring their offense. Um, he's probably going to be the biggest scoring threat. I would say basically what the fourth spot down to the eighth spot is kind of a, you know, anybody can take it kind of thing. And that was the case last year um, when I was talking to Grandpa Palmer. Like, you know, the top two – the top three are kind of, you know, you know what's going to happen. But the rest of the ones on who's going to get the final home ice spot just depends on who shows up at the Talk with Ryan Stieg of the Mining Journal, Northern Michigan Hockey Beat Rider. We are recapping the WCHA teleconference, which occurred on Wednesday. Well, Ryan, what about Ferris State? You know, they talked about how it was such a disappointing year for them last year. What did they look like this year? What kind of shot did they have at bouncing back? Well, they they lost Cooper Setch. Who was the rookie of the year last year, and that was kind of a blow. Um, I think they were expecting him to be back for one more year. But, uh, you know, they got, they've been down a couple of years. And uh, that's been a bit of a surprise, especially after being, you know, they made the national championship game a few years back in 2012. You know, they made the NCAA tournament by having a pretty awesome run at the uh, WCHA conference tournament. Um, they're, their decline was a little surprising, but uh, Bob, Bob Daniels can build something out of nothing. I think they battled a lot of injuries last year, and they were young, and that that doesn't help. Um, you know, it's good to have youth in your program, but you don't know how they're going to handle college hockey. You know, and I was talking to Grant about uh, his freshman class. He was saying the same thing. He said, you don't know what's going to happen with the freshmen. You see their stats um, going in you know, from junior hockey or maybe in high school. And, you know, you see what they're capable of, but college hockey is a huge adjustment. And you don't know if that's going to translate over, if they're going to have a little bit of a slow start, some growing pain, or if they're going to be able to contribute right away. Um, it's not common for a freshman to kind of explode out of the gates um, when they enter college hockey. And the ones that do are obviously, uh, you know, NHL caliber players. Um, like Zach Parisi was great out of the gates, you know, as a freshman um, at UND. Uh, Jack Eichel, obviously, at BU. And uh, T.G. Oshie, who is also at UND. I mean, it, and Jonathan Tapes, who also at <laughs> UND. Basically, <laughs> basically, that big recruiting class for UND was uh, there's a lot of NHL college players. And I know that's because I went there. But, you know, you have to have, you don't necessarily need your freshman to emerge right away but you're hoping that they can find, like, in the second half of the season, they can get, they've got their feet wet and they can, uh, you know, get, you know, if they can get on the right track. Well, Ryan, I don't want to call this a rule change because it's a non-rule change year, but in reference to coaches' reviews, challenges, what have you, the WCHA is taking almost the anti-NFL stance on this because they want to speed up the game and avoid lengthy delays. I'm talking about the rule that coaches need to instigate the video review via their timeout that a referee can't do that on his own anymore. So I'm wondering why leagues like the NFL are going one direction, the WCHA goes the other. Is it simply so they can speed up the game? I think some of it's speed, and I think they want to they wanna really show that they're adapting to change and the WCHA, like, 
you know, some people think college hockey tends to get stuck in the past and it's looking that way out east. But, uh, you know, and the WCHA, the NCHC, they really like to try new things. And what I found interesting, I don't know if you've heard that teleconference, but uh, Greg Shepard actually said that if he doesn't necessarily want the refs to explain why thunks weren't a goal and or were a goal, he wants the media to contact him personally, and he can explain why it was the goal, which he's never done before. So that was an interesting thing that I saw. So, you know, if I'm doing a game recap, maybe I need to blow up Greg's phone or something <laughs> like that to get, the, uh, <laughs> to get a reason why I like Northern's goal that's coming. Well, Ryan, looking at Northern Michigan, they're going to need some guys to step up and fill some big voids left by graduation from a year ago. Coach mentioned Griffin Locker and guys like that. Who's somebody you can see stepping up and taking on a bigger role for Northern and being an impactful player? Well, you can look at, you know, I think it starts with Craig Head. Uh, Darian, you know, has shown what he's capable of, you know, as a sophomore, he led the nation in game-winning goals. But I think uh, he got kind of, when I wrote my feature story about it, he kind of got pushed in the shadows. You know, you got Loggins and Rockwood who had the stats. He kind of got moved off the top line and forth at the second and third line. But I think Grant said, and it's going to be in my season preview, that Darian's really put a lot of work in, and he's going to be a senior, and he wants to go out on a high note. So I think he can emerge. Joe Nardi's gotten better each year that he's played. Um, you know, he, he had 19 points last year. I think he's definitely definitely capable of getting over the 20-point mark, um, just becoming a lot more consistent. And, of course, you got Lockhart, who uh, <laughs> um, he, he plays on the edge, uh, which is, you know, you can either like or you don't. He's known for being a pest with opposing teams. I'm sure fans have seen that, where he likes to kind of go to other players and do a fight or tend to throw them off their game, which is entertaining to watch, but I know it's kind of frustrating for Grant at times because, Sometimes Griffin ends up with a penalty box over that. But uh, he's shown that he can be, you know, a scorer. He was successful when he was with the Fargo Force. Um, and when he's on, he can be a great setup man or a good goal scorer. I think people saw that. Uh, he's known more for his, uh, I would say, his behavior <laughs> more so than his uh, overall talent. But I think if he can maybe put that aside a little bit this year, he can be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, also, my uh, feature, uh, Grant talked about uh, Vincent May, who uh, kind of the overshadowed California kid because behind uh, you know the top scoring California kid, Troy Loggins. Uh, he was he was battling uh, some injuries. Um, he was sick, uh, lost some weight. You know, he was kind of off his game in the first half. In the second half, Grant said he showed that he can be a goal scorer, and when he scored goals, they weren't like, you know, rebound goals or tip goals. He beat the goalie on these shots. These are really good goals, and uh, I think if he can stay healthy and not get sick, um, I think he can be a good emerging player. They've got a lot of capable, you know, upperclassmen and now these younger guys, sophomores that have gotten experience. And, of course, he's got a you know, pretty good freshman class. Well, I tell you what, Ryan, a lot of new faces coming in for Northern this year. You mentioned the freshman class, but not all the new faces are freshmen. At Northern, it seemed like they hit the transfer portal really hard this offseason. Was that something that Grant felt that he needed to do in order to take the next step as a program, or were there just too many good names out there that he felt this was a chance he couldn't pass up? Well, I think, uh, you know, Northern's offense is very fast-paced, and it's very improvisational. Um, he, he likes to let the players play and find their own openings and find their own strategy. It's just more of a free, open ice kind of thing. Whereas, you know, some programs are very defensive-oriented. They have their own little setups. I did my feature on Ben Newhouse, who's going to be playing this year. He's transferring in with from Union. And uh, Ben necessarily didn't have the greatest stats at Union, but I think Grant told me, and Ben even said himself, it wasn't a good fit for him. He realized that. And now I think he's more of a offensive defenseman than a straight-up blue liner, which I think is what Union was looking for. And uh, he has shown that maybe not at the level that Snow Blue is, 
but then he can be a, a 20-point guy. He can be a good setup guy and score, score goals if he's too bad. He'll probably be on the power play at some point, uh, on the penalty kill, uh, being seen as a leader. He's really looking forward to emerging. Tanner Hoops with Ryan Stieg out of the Mining Journal, beat writer for Northern Michigan Hockey. Still to come, Justin Abdelkader, Stanley Cup champion, Detroit Red Wing, will join the show. Plus, we're going to pick Ryan's brain as far as if we had a Mike Leach-style mascot fight, who would win the WCHA? That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Ryan Stieg on the ESPN-UP phone line. Well, I tell you what, if you haven't heard it yet, you need to, and you're about to. Mike Leach, at one of his press conferences, broke down a Pac-12 mascot battle. I mean, Mike Leach pressers are just further proof that God loves us, and he did not disappoint. In fact, this might have been top two, three. This, this for me, Ryan, was my favorite Mike Leach presser I've ever heard. What about you? Uh, he's known for wacky stuff that he likes to say, and he doesn't hold back. But this mascot one might be his top one. I, I, I was the most creative one. So what Mike Leach did here is he took all the other mascots from the Pac-12, his football conference, and he went through a scenario where if each mascot was in a fight, who would win? Now, the audio is rather lengthy. It's about 90 seconds, but it is worth it. Take a listen. First of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the Wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he, does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? The Bruin, definitely formidable. Another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Or it's unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. The duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. The beaver, well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the ute, again, we're back to, uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, because if that youth's got a rifle, there's some definite problems. You know, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil because there's a lot of uh, outside stuff there. As far as a beast alone, uh, a buffalo's going to be pretty hard to tangle with. I mean, a, bu- a buffalo's utterly outstanding. Did I leave any of them out? The Kugel find a way. Uh, clear-minded and crafty, a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh, <clears throat> and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings. Wherever you are right now, say a little prayer thanking God for Mike Leach and for audio like that. So I tell you what, Ryan, if we did the same thing for the WCHA, Northern Michigan's Hockey Conference, who is winning that mascot battle? Because Mike Leach kind of rode off the Wildcat early on in reference to Arizona. But I tell you what, a Wildcat's going to be a pretty formidable opponent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you look at the Mavericks. Well, mm. the Maverick necessarily isn't what it, you know, their mascot is a steer or a bull. <laughs> but that's not exactly what a Maverick is, you know. I feel like the steer or bull is kind of like the default. We need an animal, so that's what we're going to go with. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw that out simply because that's not actually their mascot. <laughs> it's invalid. So, yeah, so I'm going to throw that aside. Now, Falcons are fast. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they can fly. That's a huge advantage. But they're small. Yeah, I know? feel like the worst thing it can do is peck you. Yeah, I mean, like, they have their talons, and they might scratch you and claw you, and that's going to cause a little thing. But they're small, and, you know, bigger animals can overcome that. Now, you know, obviously... You know, we have the wildcat. People know what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. They'll maul you. They'll scratch you. They'll bite you. They're they're a very formidable opponent. Now, and then you got the midgey. Now, beavers are fun. That was you my know, college mascot. Cool. Yep. Yeah, they're cool in their own way. They can uh, defeat you with engineering with their dams. Uh, probably the most creative of the mascots out there. But uh, and they can swim. They can swim. Yeah, and also if they find a body of water, you know, nearby for this brawl, they can escape and uh, do their own thing. 
But here's my only knock against the Beaver. Even if he does make his way to a body of water, I don't think he's going to win in a fight against a Seawolf. Which, by the way, on the side note, we'll go into that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A Seawolf is a mythological creature. Mm. And uh, in a weird way, um, you know, it's seen more, some people see it as like a ship or something like that. And, uh, or a mythological creature, which I think Anchorage is more going for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you don't, that's a hypothetical battle. Mm-hmm. First, you have to think if this animal actually would exist, <laughs> and then put him in a battle. So I'm going to throw them out. And yeah, the logo but, looks scary. It, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a cool logo. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's like, you, you don't know what you're get, getting. You don't know if that's actually all right, so, so we're throwing out Anchorage and the fighting Adam Thielens. Yeah, we're throwing out Anchorage. Um, throw, I mean, you got the Huskies up in tech. I mean, they're fast. You know, they can fight. But Huskies aren't necessarily a, like, a fighting dog. No, that's not an attack dog. I'd take a wildcat over a Husky. Yeah, so you got that. Uh, Ryan, how about Lake State? You know, they're the Lakers, so it makes me think a mariner, a seaman, a sailor. And the scariest sailor mascot I can think of would be, like, the guy from I Know What You Did Last Summer, something like that. And a sailor by himself isn't that intimidating. You know, maybe if he's got, like, a hook hand or something. But like Mike Leach said about the Ute or the Trojan, if he's got a weapon, then it's a whole different ball game. If this sailor has, you know, his hook hand, he's got a harpoon, he's got an anchor, then maybe things are different for him. Or if he has, you know, the arms like Popeye has. You know, <laughs> he, can, he can put up a good fight. But again, you're a human going up against, you know, large, large creatures. Uh, I think Lake State's mascot's actually a pelican. Mm. So I guess maybe if he has a pelican, like, as backup, you know, maybe, you know, there's some, I don't know, I've never actually seen a pelican fight, but I'm sure, or if it's a seagull, I don't know what it is. That'd be interesting to have, like, some backup for its brawl. Okay, how about this scenario for the beaver? This is me making a case for the beaver. If he uses his engineering skills and his precision, that he can line all the other mascots up in direct line with a tree and then cut the tree down with his teeth so it lands on top of all the other mascots. That's very true. <laughs> I, uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's just they're so small, you mm-hmm. know. That, that's going to be their disadvantage. Now, then you have uh, the Chargers. Yep. Now, is that again, a horse? It, their, their mascot's a horse. But again, it's not a charger, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, are you referring to the charger as a man on top of the horse? You know? Like a Trojan in a way? Mm-hmm. Or are you doing some kind of bizarre, you know, Carson California chargers, like in the NFL? <laughs> where, like, it's an old man or something? I, I, You know, you can go some different ways with it, but... Like the Mavericks, you don't know what a Charger officially is, mm-hmm. or a Seawolf. So I feel like you got to discount that simply because they think there's having something to do with a horse. But it's you know it's just you know and you if, don't, even if it is a horse, I still take one of the other attack animals, like a wildcat. Yeah. Wildcat jumps on the horse's back. As long as you don't get behind the horse, you win. Yeah, um, you know if you have maybe a warrior on top of the horse, you know, or a weapon that might have you know some. Mm-hmm. You know, little advantage. Um, I think what will take it, and it's no surprise, I think the Nanook will probably take it. That's the one I want to see. I want to see the Nanook, the polar bear, go up against the other mascots. You, it's an actual legit polar bear, not what it might be a seawolf. So you have, uh, you know, it's big. They kill things. They attack humans. They can swim. They um, like Coca-Cola. Yeah, uh, they like drinking Coca-Cola. And apparently they can fly a fighter jet. I was going to say that. They can uh, <laughs> fly fighter planes and fire missiles inside volcanoes and blow it up and apparently go through a time warp to play intergalactic hockey. <laughs> and that's it. So, I mean, polar bears can do it all up there. The Fairbanks so, 2010 hype video is one of the greatest videos of all time. It, it's, you know... Just amazing. Seen, which, uh, I hope viewers finally tune in and see it. It's, it's really incredible how, uh, you know, and they can destroy a ship. That's the way they start it, underneath the ice, and then it leaps out with a hockey stick and destroys an icebreaker ship. This was made less than 10 years ago, back in 2010, 
In that video, the polar bear's in a fighter jet. It blows up a school like it shoots missiles at Ohio State and blows it up. I don't know if this video could be made today. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, you know, with, uh, it blows up Miami University, Michigan State. It actually takes out Spartan Stadium when mm. it Michigan State. So when you combine the size and the ferocity and its ferocious behavior, combined with the ability to fly a plane... <laughs> It's hard to top the I think the one that we're missing, I think the only one we left out is the Bulldog from Ferris State. But even so, yeah, but there's a few that the Bulldog could probably beat, but I don't think he's a real threat. No, I think uh, I think the Bulldog of Ferris State would, you know, put up a good fight with the Wildcat. Because Bulldogs, you know, they're fighting dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's so, there's a reason so many teams around the country choose Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. Because they got a fearsome look. They're known for fighting. And, uh, you know... I mean, you look at Ugga down in Georgia, it actually attacked the football. <laughs> so, you know, you, you know, there's some ferocious there. I think that would be a good fight for the Wildcat. But uh, the Nanak's just going to destroy them. If he doesn't kill them with it, you know, with its ferocious behavior, he'll at least take them out with a fighter jet. And then, you know, it, it's hard to top them. Ryan, that was a sensitive subject, Ugga the Bulldog. I'm trying to avoid anything like that this weekend. Unless things go well Saturday night. Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I love bulldogs. I mean, I've always wanted to adopt a bulldog and mm-hmm. have a pet bulldog, um, cause I think they're, you know, adorable, especially when they smile. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I just don't think they can keep up. How about a leprechaun against a bulldog? Because you would think, you know, leprechauns are like just small humans. Bulldogs could take down a regular sized human, but we don't know what kind of power the leprechaun brings to the table. Aren't they, you know, aren't they magical in a way? They should be. Yeah. You know, they uh, they have their little uh, luck of their Irish, and they have a shillelagh, you know, <laughs> with a stick with an iron uh, ball on the end of it. You can cause some damage with that thing. And uh, if they're, they're truly magical, they could do some crazy wizard stuff, and that would just befuddle the bulldog. So, I mean, you, you may think the leprechaun's size, you know, would be a disadvantage, but it overcomes that with magic in a shillelagh. Well, I think Notre Dame's going to need a little bit of magic in order to get a win in Athens tomorrow night. Ryan, real quick here before we move on, how about the GLIAC? Do you think things would shake out the same way for Northern, or pretty similar in the GLIAC? I think uh, for the most part, because um, there's, you know, there's some Lakers in the conference, and Cardinals are just birds. Yeah. You know, they're pretty birds, but that's really what's all they got. Vikings? Uh, there's a panther with Davenport, yep. but you know, a panther could be a wildcat, too. That's a good point. Yep. I tell you, how do you define a wildcat? Like, we know what a panther is, but what would a wildcat be defined as? Well, if you look on the statue on campus, it almost looks like a gigantic lynx or mm-hmm. something like that, or a bobcat. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've heard wildcats used to describe cougars mm-hmm. as well. Because, you know, if you look at Kentucky's mascot... Or, um, it looks like a cougar. Mm-hmm. You know? So, it's like a combination bobcat slash cougar slash creature. I guess it depends on your own opinion. I, when Tiffin was in the conference, they were the dragons. Oh, that a bit a fun one. You know, um, cause we, you know, we know what dragons look like. Um, there's many different species of dragons. I think that's about it as far as Gleak mascot. I don't think we missed anybody. But, yeah, I still like Northern's chances in the GLIAC as well as the WCHA. I do, too. I uh, I think they can definitely hold their own. The, uh, the Nanak's going to be a bit of a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe they can use their, squit, uh, their quickness or their agility to dodge fighter jets. Well, I tell you what, before we hit the timeout, we got to go to break. Ryan's not in the office this weekend, but he was still kind enough to do some work on his own time and collect for us the Friday funnies. Ryan, what do you have for us this week? Um, well, we'll start off, uh, remember uh, Red's pitcher Amir Garrett? Oh, yeah. Who, uh, decided to uh, take on the entire Pirate roster <laughs> and that fight in July. Well, last night, he decided to run away from the fight. It was quite a hilarious mm. clip. He got into it uh, with Kyle Schwarber, and, uh, you know, you know, some shoving happened, but he basically sprinted from the mound and, uh, you know, kind of had this 
I give up kind of moment. <laughs> he arrived in the dugout, and I'm like, well, that's kind of a far cry from the guy who was a couple months ago. Yeah, I'm not getting so, fined again. Yeah, so maybe that was it, or maybe he's lost his edge or something. I don't know, but uh, that was something interesting. Um, Cubs have lost their edge as a whole. I'm not convinced they want to go to the playoffs. Yeah, I, well, the Reds have been down for so long. I think they just, they're kind of giving up, mm. you know. Um, kind of like Baltimore in a way. We're, we're, <laughs> we're packing it in, you know. We'll, we'll get on top eventually. Um, remember Rob Palenkin? Oh, I, yeah. Did, did I tell you about his Heath Ledger kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. So he claimed in the past that Kobe Bryant talked to Heath Ledger, and Heath Ledger, in as his role as a joker, inspired Colby to drop 61 points one night. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Heath Ledger was dead by the time that conversation would have happened. So Colby clarified that this week and said he was actually watching that. He was watching The Dark Knight, and he, you know, enjoyed Heath Ledger's role and did a little research and saw that Heath Ledger did a lot of, he made the role kind of all-consuming. He really went all out with his performance and embraced the character. And he decided he wanted to have people leave him alone and get in his own zone. So kind of, I guess, in a way kind of motivated him. But uh, no, he did not directly talk to Heath Ledger from the office. What do you have to gain by making up a story like that if you're Rob Palenka? I I really don't know. He tries to motivate people in the weirdest way. And I don't know if he either misheard the story or if he tried to make it his own, but uh, or didn't do the research beforehand or whatever to know that he was already dead. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what Rob can think of. But let's see. I got a couple more. Um, UFC, uh, UFC fighter, um, he, you know, was notorious for doing backflips during matches and kind of doing his part to entertain. Well, he lost a fight, and some people thought that he lost his endurance because all he does is spend time doing backflips. Mm-hmm. They insisted he did it. He lost the match because he had, you know, lost so much weight trying to make weight for the class. Mm-hmm. So that's why. But uh, I think the stigma will be attached to him that he wastes too much time trying to entertain, and that's what caused him to lose. So... He's trying to make up excuses for it, but uh, it's pretty clear that that's... Yeah, I'm not buying that. Yeah. A um, couple more. Uh, Carlton Fletcher, who wrote a column down in Albany, Georgia, um, wrote it about answering ladies' questions about baseball. Mm. And, uh, you know, kind of a sexist column, uh, thinking women don't know anything about baseball, but suggests that men should watch baseball with a female person. Because it'll benefit you in a way. (laughs) If she's willing to sit through a game despite not knowing anything about it, she might be a keeper. And that you should um, return the favor by watching a chick flick or a reality show. Oh, no. (laughs) And then you can balance that out. And also, um, he also, in this imaginary conversation he's having with someone, Explain why players adjust their junk so much during games. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this guy wrote an entire column in a hypothetical conversation he had with someone and uh, basically goes all over the map with it. So that column's been all over the place. Uh, it's, a, it's a great laugh if you decide to read it just for its own absurdity. But, uh, yeah, so uh, if you're a guy, apparently you should watch baseball with a female because if she's willing to sit through it, she might be a keeper. Oh, good to know. I'll get right on that. Yeah. Make sure to, you know, <laughs> when you, uh, you know, line up a date, you know, suggest that you watch a baseball game that night. <laughs> she'll stick around. All right. A uh, couple more. Uh, high school football coach. Did you see this guy in Arizona? No. Okay. So high school football and basketball coach in Arizona resigned after the school district uh, did an investigation and found that he shared game strategies, play calls, and info about player eligibility or opposing co- with opposing coaches for at least two years. And he stopped when one of the opposing coaches said that, I don't believe in cheating, so stop doing this. The weird thing and what makes it funny is that the investigation didn't find any motive for this. 
So this guy just basically gave away game secrets for nothing. I mean, if you're going to cheat or sacrifice your, you know, your team's, you know, welfare on the field, you know, you'd think you'd get some cash out of it. Or maybe he's secretly, you know, holding the money or whatever thing he got out of it. But uh, they said they, were, they couldn't find any motive. So if that's actually true, then I don't know what's in that guy's head. Wow. Um, and uh, we'll close it with Greg Williams. I'm sure you saw Oh, yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, the second junior basically said that he coaches, Greg Williams coaches his players to hit, make dirty hits on opposing players. Well, um, Greg decided to open his mouth, which is never a good thing. No. He, he tends to say stupid stuff, but he said that he didn't, he pretended he didn't know who Odell Beckham Jr. was. And then he challenged a reporter's description that, um, that Odell Beckham Jr. is a dynamic player. Mm. And he didn't believe that. And I don't know what got into Greg Williams' head. I don't know if he's just a delusional guy or what, but uh, he made even Baker Mayfield at the press conference shake his head in <laughs> disbelief. So, yeah, we'll close it on Greg Williams being stupid for the millionth or so time and putting his foot in his mouth. That so. Browns team is just a mess. So many bad personalities in one locker room. Yeah, and, uh, you know, everybody's got an ego, and uh, you got coaches that, you know, can't coach effectively without making dirty plays. So, uh, yeah, the Browns are down, will continue to be down, and uh, the Jets are in the same way. That's how bad a shape the Browns are in right now. By the way, it doesn't get much easier. They're 1-1. One and one. Their next five games are all against 2-0 and o teams. So have fun with that. Yeah, um, they have not impressed me at all from the start. And uh, I wonder if Baker Mayfield's kind of reaching the point where he's just like, I wish I hadn't been drafted by this <laughs> <laughs> Every Browns quarterback gets there at some point. For Baker, yeah. it's been a while. We wondered if that day would come, and maybe it still is, but the day of reckoning is not far off for Baker Mayfield. No, it's not. Uh, like, like all the Browns quarterback before him, he either will go out on his own terms or – They'll go out uh, because the Browns decide in their own dysfunctional way they don't need him. Tanner Hoops, Ryan Stieg with you on the Sports Pen. Glad to have you along. Ryan, I appreciate you doing this, taking the time out of the office, what have you. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Thanks. Let's take a timeout. Justin Abdelkader next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Special guest, join us on the ESPN-UP phone line. Delighted to welcome in Stanley Cup champion Justin Abdulkader, left winger for the Detroit Red Wings. Justin, what's up? I appreciate you being on with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I tell you what, before we get started, I know you're from downstate Michigan. Have you spent much time up here in the UP? Uh, I was playing some uh, junior hockey games back in uh, in my early early years. Um, spent some time, uh, played a few tournaments, and then um, with Michigan State, we played uh, we played Northern Michigan a few times up there. So I've uh, traveled and uh, spent some time up there. So always look forward to getting back up. And they've renewed that rivalry. Sparty's coming up here a little less than a month from now. Some really good matchups between the two when they met in Lansing last year. What do you remember from playing Northern in college? Oh, gosh. Uh, shoot, really good matchups. Uh, that was when Walt Kyle was the coach. Um, you know, obviously Rick Conley was our coach, and he had started a uh, Northern Michigan program. And so just uh, always great environments to play in. Um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing the CCHA uh, for the fact that we could play, um, you know, a bunch of Michigan schools, and uh, always, always enjoyed going up to, uh, to Marquette and playing for uh, those couple games. Yeah, Coach Comley directed Northern to the 1991 national championship. He was your coach in college. Were you a Spartan fan growing up, or how did it come to be that Rick Comley and Michigan State were the right choices for you? Yeah, so I uh, actually. I grew up a Michigan State fan. My dad had gone there and uh, my grandpa. Um, and so green was kind of always in my blood. And um, I had gotten offered from uh, a few different schools. Actually, Northern was one of them. 
uh, with Walt Kyle there. But, um, you know, Michigan State was always somewhere I, uh, I always wanted to go. And so once, once they had offered, it was pretty much a done deal. Um, you know, it's, uh, not too far from, uh, about an hour and a half from my, uh, my hometown. And, um, you know, I followed the team, uh, pretty closely, uh, for the, you know, the, the previous years and in my youth days. So, um, it was always, that was always kind of, once I got that offer, it was, it was that stone that I was, uh, I was planning attending Michigan State. And tell me about the recruiting process. Were you always on Coach Conley's radar? Um, you know, probably my junior year of high school, um, we had our Select 17 uh, tournament, and uh, that was in, actually it was Select 16, no, 17, because I was 16. Um, it was in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and uh, had a really good tournament there, and all the colleges, um, you know, wanted to see how players uh, matched up against uh, some of the best around the country, and uh, had a really good tournament. And commonly had watched uh, a few games, but mostly uh, the assistant Brian Renfer and, and Tom Newton had, had followed me uh, closely um, throughout that year. And that that was a big tournament for me, just from the fact that I had played high school hockey my junior year. So they wanted to see me against uh, some of the top talent in the, in the AAA players, um, you know, around the country. So I had a good tournament, and uh, pretty much offered me, uh, you know, right. Uh, pretty much at the end of the, the tournament. So um, it was something obviously I was very excited about and then spent a year in, in juniors at, uh, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and then uh, attended Michigan State as a true freshman. I'm glad you brought that up, Justin, because I was there when you won the Clark Cup in 2005, and I vividly remember that Cedar Rapids team, Alex Stalock, Alec Martinez. Do you guys still keep in touch at the NHL level? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I just saw Alec Martinez. Uh, at a wedding this summer, um, and he's actually looking to uh, get a place back here in Michigan. Uh, still, you know, grew up here and um, still has a lot of friends and, and some roots here. So, um, you know, you, you stay in touch as you see him. It, it's tough, you know, once you, um, you know, when guys kind of go their separate ways, and some guys are still playing, some guys aren't. But uh, it's definitely good to see uh, whenever you can see a fellow teammate like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's always great because you. Uh, especially a team that uh, in Cedar Rapids we had such a close group of guys and, and a team that uh, was successful and went on to win the Clark Cup. So we had, a, we had a special bond with those guys for sure. Well, Justin, we're excited to host you in the Red Wings next week for Hockeyville. It'll be your first Hockeyville experience as well. How excited are you to be able to have your first one in your home state? Yeah, it's great. Um, I was actually uh, disappointed when we didn't play in the last Hockeyville you know, really excited to uh, for us to be a part of it. Uh, obviously, being the the home state team, um, you know, I think guys are really looking forward to you know getting up there, and uh, we're going to have our pregame skate up there and kind of spend the spend the full day. So it's it's a it's a special event. It's a great thing that uh, NHL and NHLPA uh, partner and, and do and, and give back to local ranks. And I know Kelly Met's the oldest uh, oldest rink in the country, and um, you know, there's obviously a lot of passionate, passionate hockey fans up there. So we look forward to uh, to getting up there and, you know, signing some autographs, taking some pictures, and just interacting with our fans that might not get an opportunity to come down to uh, Detroit. So um, it's, I, I know guys are really excited and it should be a fun game. Talking with Detroit Red Wings forward Justin Abdulkader. His team will be up here for Kraft Hockeyville next week. Justin, looking at your resume, it's pretty clear that you perfectly embody Michigan hockey. You were Mr. Hockey in high school. You won an NCAA national championship with the Spartans. You won a Stanley Cup with the Red Wings. All of your accomplishments and the ways that you're growing the game here in your home state, how special is that for you? Very special. You know, I've played, I've been very, very fortunate to play all but the one year in Cedar Rapids uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, the fans, the people uh, mean so much to me and have a lot of personal relationships and just, you know, it's a, it's a small community, especially the hockey community. So um, you either know someone or know someone through a friend or, or someone else. So just to give back to, you know, to the kids, I had my first hockey camp this summer, which I really enjoyed. And uh, just to try to give back to the kids and give, give kids an opportunity to, um, you know, be able to play the game of hockey, the, the game that we, we all love uh, and are so passionate about. Um, 
you know. So just just trying to, you know, spread the word and, um, you know, be be someone that can be out uh, in the public and, and, and be around for, for people to see, for people to talk to, and hopefully be a good role model for the kids. Well, Justin, off the ice, what's life like for you? I understand you became a published author last year. Yeah, I did. I uh, actually uh, published my first book, uh, Shoot for the Goal, and uh, that kind of, you know, followed my story um, growing up and being a Red Wings fan and having the dream to hopefully one day wear the Red Wings jersey. And uh, part of that is part of the, you know, me publishing the book was, was one to tie into uh, my reading program with the Red Wings, the Abbey's All-Star. And uh, two was really to um, try and inspire kids and say, hey, listen, I was in your shoes when I was four or five, six years old and um, had big dreams and aspirations of playing the NHL. And you know what? It, it, it can happen uh, with, with hard work and, uh, you know, commitment and attention to detail. Those type of things uh, can happen. So uh, it's, it's been fun to be able to, to go and, and read the book to, uh, you know, kids uh, kids all around uh, the state of Michigan. It's kind of way that I um, am trying to give back. And then on top of the book, the proceeds, we've been uh, um, actually we're going to do a giveaway to a school in Detroit and just, just trying to trying to give back to uh, to the local community and to the state of Michigan for, for kids, um, you know, and, and tie in my, my reading program to get kids uh, excited about reading. Well, Justin, the season is right around the corner. I know a lot of fans are excited to see what Steve Eiserman can bring to the table as general manager. What about you and the guys? Are you anxious to get back on the ice? What's the mood in the locker room? Yeah, well, we're all excited to get back on the ice, especially uh, after having uh, some long summers the last few years, uh, not making the playoffs. But, uh, you know, Steve coming in definitely brings uh, a lot of excitement, you know, from the players uh, to the fans. Everyone around the rink, uh, everyone's excited to have him back. Uh, what he's meant to this organization as a player, and uh, now hopefully um, for years to come as as general manager. I, I think uh, you know he's, he's has a great track record, you know, from his time in, in Tampa and what he built down there. And I think he's he's looking forward to building, uh, you know, somewhat of the same uh, here in Detroit. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we can just. Uh, you know, get off to a good start, and um, you know, we're it's it's uh, kind of everyone's been on their toes here in, in training camp and in start of the preseason because you know everyone wants to impress their new boss, and uh, you know, I think it ultimately will be a good thing uh, as we go into the season. Well, Justin, I always like to ask the younger athletes, high school, college. You're coming off a big win. You're on a road trip. Who's your favorite teammate to sit by on the bus to room with? What about for you at the pro level? Oh gosh, um, you know I, I usually sit next to. Uh, we we used to have roommates, uh, you know, where I roomed with uh, Darren Helm for gosh my first four or five years with the team, and uh, I think that was just a great experience to be able to uh, to be with them, to talk with them, and you know we're going through some of the same experiences for the first time. So um, you know he was always someone I I enjoyed talking to. Player, you know, as you get older, you you uh, you know you kind of are around um, the older guys, um, whether it's on the bus or, or guys that uh, you go out to eat with. But I, I think as as younger players, just you know, with them being able being able to uh, to gravitate towards you know some of the young players, but also look up uh, to the veteran players, and those those were players that uh, you know for myself as a young player, I looked at. You know how they conducted themselves on and off the ice, what they did. Um, just you're trying to learn, you know, how to become become a pro and, and uh, what it takes. So, um, just I think I think just uh, making sure that you're in tune with with uh, you know everything around you. So, well, Justin, looking back on your career, you won an NCAA championship with your hometown team. You won a Stanley Cup with your hometown team. You skated for Team USA. When it's time to hang it up and call it a career, what do you want people to remember about you the most? You know, I, I think, you know, you, you obviously, um, you know, success comes with, you know, opportunity. You've got to be in the right place in the right time. But I think just being an athlete that, you know, is 
is open to his fans and is out in the public and is doing something good for the community and hopefully inspiring other kids uh, and being a good role model. I, I think that's that's more or less how uh, how I would like to be remembered. Someone that gives back to his community and, and does does well for uh, for his community. Stanley Cup champion Justin Abdelkader joins us on the ESPN-UP phone line. Justin and the Red Wings will be in town next week for Hockeyville. Justin, I really appreciate you taking the time. All the best to you and the guys this season. We'll see you next week in Calumet. Yep, yep. Thanks Thanks for having me and look forward to seeing you guys. Let's take a time out. More to come on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of the show today, including our interview with Justin Abdelkader, you can check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple I Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. A reminder, if you missed our coach's show earlier today at 3, we're going to play that back for you here once I sign off and head over to Ishpeming for Patriots at Hematites. We'll have the game tonight here on ESPN-UP. Pre-game about 6.40, kickoff set for 7. I hope that you join us here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Well, I tell you what, it's been Hockey Friday here in the sports pen. A lot of puck talk, and I love it. I love me some good hockey talk. But you know what? We're going to go to football here in the final minutes of the show because I cannot wrap my brain around something, and I need to talk it over with you. I cannot wrap my brain around the dislike of Eli Manning. Not the dislike of Eli Manning as a Hall of Fame quarterback. The dislike of Eli Manning. Look at his resume, his numbers, two Super Bowls, top ten in almost every major statistical category, and he's been the epitome of health. Never missing a game due to injury, he was an Iron Man. That doesn't get enough credit in the NFL, being an Iron Man, and that's exactly what Eli Manning was. Yet despite all that, there are people who passionately believe Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer. There are people getting in heated debates because a man they've never met nor will meet, because a man that has never crossed them personally, never done anything to negatively impact their life other than maybe beating their team on a Sunday, might get into the Hall of Fame. People are acting like this is personal, and I don't get it. I have never seen a subject cause this much hostility, animosity. Is Joe Flacco elite was the question a couple years ago. Nobody got as hostile answering that as this. And this has erupted the last couple of days. Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? There's passion on both sides of the equation. And it turns into hostility. And I don't get why that is. Why did Eli Manning suddenly turn into a polarizing figure? Why is he somebody that you're rooting against? getting into the Hall of Fame. Why do people not like Eli Manning? And I say that because if you look at his overall body of work and you still don't think he's a Hall of Famer, you don't like him. You just don't like him. And I don't get why that is. I want to address something that was brought to my attention during yesterday's show. Jake Duran of Local 3 was on here. He got a text from one of his friends who was listening to our Eli Manning segment. I gave my case why Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. It was at the end of the segment, we were coming up on a break, and I had something else I wanted to get to to end the day, but I'd like to address it now while we still got a few minutes left here in the week. And it was a text message that said something like, games changed now, something like that. And then there was a follow-up text that said, Montana's stats at retirement, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing here. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. I wish you would elaborate a little bit more. What I took it to mean, at least what I hoped it meant, was that the game has changed so much, you can't compare quarterbacks from two different eras. You can't compare Joe Montana or anybody else from that era to Eli Manning. And let me start off by saying I'm throwing no shade at Joe Montana. I did not do that segment to disparage him. I love me some Joey Montana. I have two of his jerseys. He's one of my favorite NFL players. And yes, he deserves to be a Hall of Famer. Because at the time he retired, he was top 10 in almost every statistical category, just like Eli is now. But you're right, Jake's friend. The game has changed. But that's no reason to keep Eli Manning out of the Hall of Fame. Because if we go down that slope, then you have to apply it to every quarterback, not just Eli Manning. Joe Montana has fallen out of the top ten in almost every statistical offensive category because guys from this generation of football are passing him. Because Drew Brees has passed him in several categories. Because Tom Brady has, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. He's kind of from this generation, right on the fringe of it. Guys are passing him. It's not just Eli Manning. 
So if we apply the game has changed concept to Eli Manning, we have to apply it to everybody. We can't say Eli Manning won't get credit because he's from a different era and the game has changed to benefit offense. But give the same credit to Drew Brees, to Aaron Rodgers, to Tom Brady, to anybody else that's up there with Eli Manning. Throw Ben Roethlisberger up there too. Well then, if you're listening, Jake's friend, you're probably thinking, well, there's a big difference between Eli Manning and Aaron Rodgers. There's a big difference between Eli Manning and Drew Brees. There's a big difference between Eli Manning and Tom Brady. I'm not here saying that Eli Manning is better than any of those three. But those guys at their peak... There wasn't a lot of difference between them. The problem that we run into when we start talking about how the game has changed, how football's not the same as it was a few decades ago, the problem we run into is we see everything as a constant. Eli struggled mightily the last two years. The last two years have not been the same as his first 13. His first 13, he was able to go out there any given Sunday and the Giants had a chance to win. You don't feel the same way now. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Eli struggled for more than the last couple of years, when in reality, that's not true. People forget how recent it was that Eli Manning played in the postseason, that he led the Giants to an 11-5 and mark. Oh, but Odell Beckham Jr. was on that team. He's always had good receivers, good backs. Like the year that they won the Super Bowl with the 27th-ranked rushing attack, when he won the Super Bowl with Brandon Jacobs, Madison Hedgecock. Good players. But they're not going to be the difference between a Super Bowl or a losing record. Eli was in the playoffs three years ago. Two years ago, he was benched for the first time by Ben McAdoo. People weren't saying Eli Manning was washed then. They weren't saying Eli Manning's career was over. That blame went to Ben McAdoo. Because it was not Eli's fault that the Giants were losing. The last two years? Yes, Eli has struggled. Is it time to hang it up? I think it is. But don't let anybody tell you when they try to make their anti-Eli Manning Hall of Fame case that his struggles go beyond two, maybe three years as he gets into his late 30s. Don't let anybody tell you that because it's not true, although it seems true. That's the problem we're facing. That's the recency bias. And that's why a few years need to go by. Eli's a few years into retirement and he will be voted in. He'll be remembered as the legend that he was. See, the problem is... We're clouded by the recency bias. We don't take the whole body of work into consideration because we as a society are what have you done for me lately. That's why a few years will pass. Eli will become eligible for the Hall of Fame. The recency bias will be gone. We'll remember him for what he accomplished during the prime of his career. And Eli Manning will take his rightful place in the Hall of Fame. If you want to say the game has changed, and that's why Eli Manning is higher on most NFL lists than Joe Montana, if you want to say that, and that's why you discredit Eli, you have got to say the same thing for every other quarterback that has passed Joe Montana that comes from this generation. Now, you can come back with the argument and say, those guys are just better than Eli Manning. Those guys are all better. Eli is the most average quarterback of this generation. You can say that. But the problem is that the regular Joe armchair quarterback is not the talent scout he thinks he is. The eye test? If someone ever makes a case for a Hall of Fame player, and it doesn't have to be Eli Manning, it can be anybody, and they ever refer to the eye test, at any point they say, this guy doesn't pass my eye test. Ladies and gentlemen, they can kiss their credibility goodbye. Because you, the armchair quarterback, are not the talent scout you think you are. Now, can you recognize a bad quarterback when you see one? Absolutely. Doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize Jameis Winston is not going to have a job in the NFL next year. But if Eli is a bad quarterback, and his numbers truly are a product of the generation he plays in, then everybody's numbers should be elevated. There should be no such thing as a bad quarterback. That's the slippery slope with the game has changed problem. Because the game certainly has changed. It's certainly become more offensive. Quarterbacks are better than they used to be. But then that concept applies to everybody. You don't get a pick and choose which quarterback it applies to and which it doesn't. Because the same concept is going to apply to Eli Manning as it does to Aaron Rodgers, to Jameis Winston, to Josh Rosen, to Russell Wilson. Every quarterback across the spectrum has to be measured the same way. You cannot 
pick and choose a scale based on who you believe is a good quarterback because he passes your eye test. Has the game changed? Absolutely it has. I fully admit that. Has it benefited quarterbacks by changing the way it has? Absolutely. That being said, every quarterback benefits from it, and Eli Manning is still going out top 10 in almost every category. Aaron Rodgers benefited from it. Drew Brees benefited from it. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger. There's still a few old school quarterbacks that are still up there along those lines. And yet Eli's still right there. You can say the game has changed, but the game has changed for everybody. It's time to put your personal bias against Eli Manning for whatever reason you have it. Time to put it aside and just appreciate greatness. Why are we so quick to hate greatness? Why is there such a big debate over who's the greatest of all time in basketball? Is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? Whichever side you pick, you're driven to hate the other. It's such a polarizing topic. Why is that? That's why I hate MJ LeBron debates. That's why I hate Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer debate. Because we don't appreciate greatness. Because whatever side we take, it forces us to hate the other side. Because it's that polarizing. That's what I hate about it. It's time to put your personal bias against Eli Manning aside because he beat your favorite team on a few Sundays. Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. And that is the end of our show. I appreciate you tuning in. I will talk at you tonight for Westwood Patriot Football. 6.40 pregame, 7 o'clock kick. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to ESPN-UP.